Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Fred Barnes. And Fred, before we get to politics, uh, events in Ukraine are developing as we speak. We don't know who actually did what. We just know a plane's down, maybe 23 Americans on it. But what's your take on uh, American foreign policy in Ukraine, in, particularly in the last couple of months since the uh, Crimea crisis resulted in Crimea going to Russia? Basically, the Obama administration has ignored Ukraine, uh, uh, leaving the impression that the, uh, the Russians, particularly uh, uh, President Vladimir Putin, is no longer interfering in eastern Ukraine, and no longer helping uh, the pro-Russian rebels there. Uh, and, and of course, uh, there's still a great deal of activity. You know, two Ukrainian planes, a fighter plane and a, and a uh, uh, cargo plane. Yeah, a cargo plane. Uh, were shot down recently, uh, obviously not by the Ukrainians themselves, um, and now we get this Malaysian plane being shot down. So uh, I, I have no idea uh, or personal information about who shot down this Malaysian plane, but when you look at the two previous and recent uh, planes being shot down, uh, it does at least point the finger uh, first at the Ukrainian rebels. The question is whether they have the kind of uh, artillery that can reach a plane that's, you know, better than 30,000 feet above ground. You can't do that with just uh, one of these rockets that uh, is fired from your shoulder. It takes a, a piece of serious uh, anti-aircraft. And the uh, AP is reporting that their reporters claim that they've seen some of this equipment on the ground in that in parts of the Ukraine controlled by the uh, pro-Russian forces. Mm-hmm. I also think it's interesting that we see another model with the Obama presidency of it's one crisis at a time. He, yeah. you know, you if you mm-hmm. think about just this week, Ukraine is forgotten about because there are too many other you know, immediate crises right in front of us. Uh, mm-hmm. Bashar Assad. It's been our policy for what uh, twenty years now that he regime mm-hmm. change occur in in Syria. He's yeah. just sworn in for a third uh, term. It's as though. <laughs> You know, there's a problem mm-hmm. in front of this White House. Mm-hmm. This White House hops around, mm-hmm. tries to throw blame on other people, talks about how it's, you know, it's going to do something, and then eventually it waits for the temperature to go down, usually because some other crisis has taken up all the heat, and then they move on and, Ukraine, mm-hmm. why we fixed that months ago? Yeah, well, and the impression they leave, of course, is that the problem was solved when it wasn't solved at all. For instance, you mentioned Syria. Uh, we know now that something like, well, well over 90% of the uh, chemical gas uh, that Assad has in Syria that he declared he had anyway uh, has been turned over. But declared is the key word. Uh, we, uh, my suspicion, of course, and probably yours as well, Michael, is that the Syrians kept some, uh, and they certainly have the ability to create more. And yet the reason for not uh, uh, bombing Syria in the first place that Obama had promised when a red line was crossed, and it was crossed uh, when Assad used chemical warfare uh, and has used it since then. Um, then uh, we, uh, in other words, the problem is now being ignored, but it hasn't been solved. Right. And those two, I think, fit uh, hand in glove without a doubt. But uh, the the trajectory of the political narrative right now, Fred, seems mm-hmm. to lead us towards the thought that by 2016, people really are going to be ready for that change that they were talking about in 2008. They're really going to want to take a different direction. Mm-hmm. And it's harder to think more of a different direction guy than Rick Perry. Well, no, that's certainly true. I, I happen to be working on a piece on Rick Perry for the Weekly Standard at the moment. And, Michael, you'll remember 
when Perry emerged from his disastrous campaign for the Republican nomination in 2012, he was looked at as a politician who's dead in the water. And forget about him. He cannot rise again from uh, the terrible situation he is in. He's in a laughing. He's a laughing stock. Remember where, where he, when he couldn't remember, he said there were three agencies he, I believe, he wanted to kill, and he could only think of two of them. And that was the oops moment. And and <clears throat> but in fact, over the last 18 months, uh, Perry has done a remarkable amount to revive his stature. Uh, he's not going to run for governor. Uh, again, after 14 years in the governorship in Texas, uh, and in all likelihood, he's going to run for president. He has met with scholars at the Hoover Institution and the American Enterprise Institute and so on. He's, he's uh, done so many things. He's uh, traveled around the world, and he's going to do more of it. He's going to China. Uh, he went to Davos for the economic summit there last winter, and I've seen uh, I've seen a video of the panel he was on with Kofi Annan, the a former UN general secretary and uh, president Santos of Venezuela and, and, uh, uh, Perry was quite comfortable in the crowd with these, uh, uh, really, uh, world leaders. Uh, he's come a long ways. He's different. And <laughs> there are two different types of impressions of Perry inside the political community. Uh, one is among those people who've seen him and talked to him, uh, in recent months and they're impressed and those who haven't seen him and they still think he's a laughing stock. Uh, Fred, you know I love you more than anyone who doesn't refer to you regularly as the Beatle. But I got to tell you, I saw Rick Perry give a speech in Boston in 2012, and it was mm. not bad, not terrible. It was excruciating. Really? And so I'm just curious to know if you, in politics in the year 2014, 15, 16, do you get a second look, or is the impression of you that is stamped on you by the mainstream media kind of stuck with you even if you do get beyond that well the old saying of course is 90 percent of politics is first impressions and Perry's at least on the national stage was about as bad as it can get uh and i think that speech in boston was probably an example of uh, of other speeches and and really his whole campaign he was unprepared he thought being governor of texas was enough to make him uh, a good presidential candidate turned out he was completely wrong uh, it is an uphill battle for him. You really don't get second chances. Uh, and Perry, look, Perry has advanced more than I thought was imaginable, but it's still an uphill fight for him. I mean, people do remember 2012, and uh, he's, he's earned some uh, uh, credit in the media, and some people have written favorably about him, and, and, and the piece that I'm writing is going to be generally favorable about him, too, because it's just about what he's done. Uh, over the last 18 months, that doesn't make him uh, a front runner for the Republican presidential nomination. He has to gain more ground, and he has to not make any mistakes. And in particular, this year or, or 2016, I should say, because you know, if, in 2012, a limping Rick Perry would have been acceptable to a lot of Republican primary mm -hmm. voters because the choices were so uninspiring. I'll, I'll be polite. Yeah, uh, indeed, in, I agree. In 2016, you've got. You know, Rand Paul, who certainly represents part of the party and his people mm -hmm. are passionate about him. You've got maybe, maybe not Chris Christie, but you can't deny that mm -hmm. the guy, you know, has a certain appeal. You've got experienced hands like Bobby Jindal, who is, has a great mm -hmm. record as a governor and may or may not be a great candidate, but he's, you know, got a lot you know, to going for him. And then you go out to uh, Marco Rubio, of course, Scott Walker, who a lot of people uh, lean that mm -hmm. way and who's got a great record. If Rick Perry's going to show up in a field like that, he's not going to be the guy who rescues the party from mediocre 
nominees. He's going to be competing with a bunch of strong candidates. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's much tougher uh, for Perry. I mean, I when you look back on it, 2012 was made for him. Uh, if he'd gotten in early, uh, if he prepared, if he'd done all the things he's done, meeting with experts and uh, going to the Hoover Institution and the American Enterprise Institution and inviting scholars and experts down to Austin to meet with him for entire days at a time, uh, if he'd done all that back in 2012, uh, I think he'd be he might have been uh, the nominee. He didn't do any of that and uh, and and bombed completely. It'll it's a tougher field. In 2016, I think he's he hasn't announced obviously that he's running, but it certainly looks like he is. It'll be tough, but it's possible now that he could win. Just possible uh, that he could win the Republican nomination. Not the favorite, but it's possible. We'll see. Now, Fred Barnes, you notice I left out two names: uh, Bush and Romney, and that mm-hmm. I admit is purely the host's prejudice. Because I'm prepared to find a tall political building and fling myself off of it if Jeb Bush is a nominee. And if it's Mitt Romney, (laughs) I will fling myself off the building, but I'll wait for an oncoming truck to hit me on my way down. Please tell me, please tell me that the establishment is not still trying to push one of these two leftovers from the past. I don't think they're trying to push uh, Romney. Uh, I think the media is, you know, just like these media stories about movie stars are going to run for this and that. Uh, but Jeb Bush is a different story. And I'm afraid I disagree with you on Jeb Bush. I know a lot about Jeb. I've, I've gone to Florida. I happen to have a small house in Florida that I never get to. But uh, Jeb Bush was a great governor. He's more libertarian than his brother. Uh, and he is a true reformer on education, on health care, on Medicaid, on just about everything. And uh, he's gotten uh, he's gotten on the wrong side of some conservatives on two things right now, which may stop him from running. One, of course, is immigration. He's an immigration reformer. I generally agree with him on on immigration. Common Core um, is something else. I I just don't know enough about Common Core, but a lot of conservatives who do are against it and rather strongly against it. With those two issues. Uh, uh, dividing the Republican Party and and uh, so many conservatives skeptical of Bush, uh, I think that might convince him not to run and let Marco Rubio, his mentor, it, 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 rather he was the mentor of Marco Rubio when Rubio was the House Speaker in the Florida Legislature, um, and let Rubio run. They both can't run, and uh, right now it looks like Rubio is going to run, um, and Bush won't. So you're safe. You won't have to jump off a building. <laughs> I don't know. When it comes to the Republican Party, I'm just, I'm always prepared for disaster at any moment. Fred Barnes, why thanks. Would you, why, why would you worry about disaster with Republicans? Just because it blown two chances to win the Senate, and now and, and they could blow a third? I mean, picky, picky. I know, I know. I'm, I'm the guy who finds the doom and gloom amid the rainbows. I don't know how I do that. Fred Barnes, thanks so much for joining us for the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to listen to WeeklyStandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.